Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn, and we are the hosts of the Government Ops Podcast. So you may ask yourself, what is the Government Ops Podcast? And really, it's trying to give everybody an overview of the different city departments, uh, what those departments do, what programs we offer, what services we have here. Uh, we're really excited to have folks understand and learn what we do as employees. I think there's a lot of questions that we get about our operations and what uh, what exactly we're doing at times. Uh, some of those are positive questions. Some are a little different, but uh, we want to really excited to share kind of not only the departments, but also the people that we have, uh, the wonderful folks that do everything on a daily basis. So if uh, you're ready for this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, so let's get this episode going. Hello and welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager for the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn. And on today's episode, we have Mike Gephardt back. He's the Assistant City Manager and also the Economic Development Director. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here again. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. For those of you keeping track, this is episode 10. I know we have 13 followers. We want to make sure that our 13 followers are informed. <laughs> so we keep that information out there. Episode 10, we're going to talk about the Development Services Department. You probably wonder, why is Mike back talking about Development Services? Well, the reason for that is among the responsibilities that Mike has, in addition to being the Assistant City Manager, is he's the head of the Development Services Department. So we thought it'd be best to get it from the boss's mouth uh, to hear what this uh, department does. So let's Let's start with a very easy softball question for you, Mike. What is development services? Well, for years, development services was called community development, but it's remained the same, just a different different name. Um, essentially, there are four different divisions within um, the development services department, uh, code enforcement, building inspection, city planning, and what we call neighborhood betterment, which essentially is um, our grants, uh, tracking, uh, for uh, low to moderate income households and other grants that the city applies for that have to do with development. Okay. So it's it's really the planning and development arm. It's where the long-range planning takes place. It's where we try to plan for how we want the community to look and then implement those through our other parts of that department. Uh, that, that's a, a good assessment of it. I mean, essentially, um, zoning unlocks the door to the building inspection department. So anytime somebody wants to bring a business here or wants to uh, add onto their house, build a new house, build a shed, put in a pool, um, you would visit the development services department, come in, um, zoning would review your application. Um, as soon as they give you the okay, then you would move on to building inspection and su submit for any permits that you would need. In the case of a pool, it might be a fence permit or an electrical permit. Um, so that's a one-stop shop there. Uh, of course, um, our grants folks are continually working sure. um, uh, to, to improve neighborhoods, and code enforcement works along with that to help improve our neighborhoods. Okay. So it's really everything from A to Z with regard to the built environment and what we want the mm -hmm. environment to look like in the future. Correct. Okay. Um, let's Before we get into the specific departments, let's ask a, a question here. Because the last time you were with us, you talked specifically about economic development, right. which is not the same thing as development services. But talk about how these two kind of go hand in hand. So they are, Rob. You're exactly right. They, they are intertwined. And for years, um, economic development was the fifth division within uh, development services. Um, but economic development is so important, it stands alone. However, development services supports 
economic development in so many ways. Once we talk to someone about perhaps moving a new business into the to the city, or or developing a, a current business or building, we first go to planning. We get information from the city planner. Um, does this meet with the zoning code, whether it's use or uh, setbacks? Once it passes through them, of course, we bring in building inspection, especially if it's a new building or an addition to a building. And so we help guide folks from the economic development, bring it into the city or expand it in the city, and we take it through um, zoning and building inspection um, to help them get open and running as quickly as possible. So the two fit hand in hand together. So from somebody initial idea to the time we cut that ribbon we're involved correct okay that's they've always they always have someone to talk to that's an advocate for them sure. at the city that's a great explanation of how those two fit together let's take these in alphabetical order if, we, if you don't mind okay we'll talk with building inspection first okay um, why does the city have our own building inspection department and does that give us an advantage so we have our own building inspection department. Uh, short answer, yes, it does give us an advantage. Um, having our own building inspection department uh, at its base allows us to control the process. Um, one of the biggest hiccups that you'll see in, in, in building inspection anywhere in the country is the amount of time it takes from application uh, to occupancy permit. And so with that being here in the building, again, we're advocating for our applicants. Um, there's a development uh, review meeting uh, weekly among various staff members where we come together, we talk about projects that are before us, we talk about things that may be holding those up um, to move those through. If building inspection weren't here, housed in this building, um, and we had that service from somebody else, we, that process would be much slower. Um, no slam on any other organization that does it. But because those folks are in this building and they're our coworkers, we can have impromptu discussions uh, and try and get clarification uh, more rapidly. We try our best to turn plans around in 10 business days. Wow. So if you apply on a Monday, um, you know, the, the two weeks later on Friday, we hope to have your plans done and back to you and your, your approvals. Or if there's some reason that, that there's, there needs to be a change to the plan so it meets building code, we can get to that to you sooner so that keeps your 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 project moving along at a rapid pace and so um, we like to move at the speed of business sure some folks say you know government moves so slowly so it's been our goal over the last five years to keep the building process and the zoning process as customer friendly as possible um, our inspectors are here to help you through that process um, you can come in uh, eight to five monday through friday and there'll be an inspector here, um, particularly from the hours of 8 to 9.30 and 3.30 to 5 to help answer your questions. And so we wouldn't have that ability if we uh, contracted that service out to someone else. And so at the end of the day, um, having building inspection be a city-operated uh, function um, allows greater communication between the customer and the city, and that should, at the end of the day, mean that your 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 construction moves much faster and, and much smoother. There's a cost associated with having that service, Mike, but uh, talk about it's not just a cost. There is some revenue associated with that as well. So while it may, how close do we get for that paying for itself? Uh, in making it worthwhile to spend that money on having that department? So generally speaking, we, we the cost uh, versus the uh, what we bring in in revenue, um, the 
65 to 70% of, of the revenues generated by building inspection permit fees um, sure. help to for, with the cost of what it what it actually costs us to have that department. So okay. um, there is some subsidy from the general fund, but you know it's like the Mastercard commercial where you can assign a price to everything. Yeah, it's priceless to have the ability to control that process in this building, so that the process is much faster and and there's more. Uh, customer service there, and right. so you can't. We can't affix a price or a percentage of what it's worth to us, and so it's priceless. And so, but the general fund usually helps out to the tune of about thirty-five okay. percent um, of of what it costs to run that building department. And so the permits and the fees. I mean, it's it's for anybody, not just you know big corporations or Correct. businesses. It's for homeowners that just want to do. You know, like you said, a small shed. Correct. And so, generally speaking, if it's if it's something that's other than a fence or a, a pool, um, you'll have a design professional, an architect or an engineer, create the plan for you, whether it's a residential or a commercial project. That comes in, um, the chief building official and our permitting technician um, then put it in a queue. Um, there's a quick review of it at first. In that quick review, um, we use the International Code Council, which is the, the national standard, if not the uh, Western Hemisphere standard for um, putting a cost to what a permit uh, or a value to that permit and, and what the end user uses or pays for that permit, I'm sorry. So um, we use a, a essentially the industry standard on that, and that permitting tech can, can take a close or a quick look at it and give you an idea of what that permit's going to cost. Fences, pools, that type of thing are a standard cost, um, but, a, but an addition or um, a new construction on a new building um, You'll know within 24 hours what that permit's going to cost for you, um, and so and we've we've done things to change things up over the years. We now accept credit cards for those payments. Sure. Um, we've turned that process into. Uh, a, a online process if you'd like to do it. Every permit form is available on our website. Um, you can actually print the form out and submit it electronically and pay for it electronically um, so that you don't have to come into the building or, or stop by. Um, and then we'll let you know when they're ready for pickup. So I think the, the key thing that I think we want to make note of here is that this is a very tech to most in most cases a very technical process so um, a lot of people think that you can draw something on the back of a napkin and and bring it in and get it approved and while there are some things that do not require that much detail uh, where you can draw some if you're a homeowner and you need to get a fence you can draw that yourself absolutely uh, and get that approved absolutely if you're building a three-story building for a defense contractor that's a very technical drawing, uh, and it's a very technical review that we have to go through. I don't think people understand the, how technical that process is. Right. You, you, in, a, in a commercial building, um, you have everything from rough framing, rough electrical, uh, fire suppression. Um, you know, We start with our engineering division is another partner to us, starts with um, how the, uh, the piece of property is going to be uh, excavated, how, there's, how it's going to, construction's going to happen. When you see the big earth move going. That's because engineering has put their eyeballs on the project. Um, the drainage, um, the grading of the property that's all taken in by the engineering division. Then when it switches over to the building inspection division, they're looking for literally everything from electrical, fire, uh, uh, the building itself, uh, heating and ventilation. They're looking at everything that makes that building a building. And the bottom 
line or the, the, the goal and reason for building inspection is is so that the building is built in a manner where it's safe to, to, right. to occupy. Um, you wouldn't want a diesel backup generator located right outside the fresh air intake for a commercial building because if, if that generator kicks on, those diesel fuel uh, fumes are pumping right into the fresh air intake and it's filling the whole building. So they look at things as small as that. They look at uh, to make sure that your fuse box, um, everything is wired correctly. Um, we don't want any safety concerns bef uh, when we write that occupancy permit that allows you to, to actually put human beings in the building. So and we look we at everything. We don't make up those rules. No. That's not, we don't come up with our own rules that say you have to have this many screws and a by four like that's all I yeah absolutely not that's all standard, right? that is an international standard and then the state of ohio adopts um, the international standard and then we as a city adopt the state of ohio building code and so these are things that are vetted at a, at a national level um, takes in um, information and procedures from all over the country to come up with best practices and then um, uh, of course um, the state adopts them, and then we as the city adopt them, and that's what our guys um, uh, move forward with, with in enforcement. Uh, I'll say this because I want to give your folks some credit, you and your folks some credit, is that I believe in the last six years or so, we've totally changed, I think, the way our building department interacts with the public and with builders. I, I, now, I'll preface all that by saying I've never worked in a city where somebody hasn't complained about the building department, right? It's right. Just, it's the nature of the animal. Right. Uh, talk about the philosophy that we have now with our building department as opposed to uh, I've seen in some other communities. I'm sure you've seen it too. We, we take a more teaching philosophy uh, with this, with the current group that we have to right. try to help people uh, find solutions to problems. Right. And I think that's the big point is we try to help you find solutions. And so it's not a gotcha moment where you come in, you submit your plans, uh, you know, like when we were in grade school and everything was circled in red pen that meant you got it wrong. And then we hand it back to you and say, figure it out. Um, that's, that's not the direction we go in. The direction we go in is we would l rather have a pre-construction or a pre-submittal meeting where we talk through anything that in particular that, that might be a hiccup with the design team from whomever's coming in to build the building, and we take them by the hand through that process. If they've got any questions at any point, we have a specific permit tech who's their point of contact so that if there is some kind of misunderstanding, there's someone they know that they come directly to and contact in the city so that they can get their questions answered. So um, I think that's a really important um, benefit that we have in our, in our uh, building inspection division is we've got a designated person to be your advocate. And so in the past, like Rob said, every, every building department, oh, they're tough to work with. Eh, okay. Um, but we've done everything we can, we possibly could in the last five years to say, let's turn this around and make this a positive experience. You know, yeah. um, it's, it's much easier to see a problem before it's, it's finalized and submitted. And we have to say no and send it back to say, hey, tweak this before you submit it. 
and it's been very positive. Um, you and I both are in, in a situation where if there was a problem, we'd hear about it. Yep. You know, those phones would be ringing off the hook, and it's drastically different in the last five years. Well, I think when you can offer people an explanation of we're not just trying to be difficult, we're trying to help you do this the right way because safety's involved or, you know, other things are involved, I think that goes a little bit farther than crossing something off and saying, eh, try again. You know, when you can help people understand, I think it right. it makes it easier too. You know, one of the examples of, of that, you know, when we went through some of the bigger buildings when they've been built recently, whether it's the Kroger's or Menard's, we've done phased approvals. Right. So um, a phased approval will keep a, a, a job moving um, if it's a very technical job. So we may you know, do a phased approval for all of the rough framing of a building um, and then you know, not look at anything else. So once they've got that up and the design team says, hey, it would be better to put um, you know, the fuse box in the northeast corner of the store rather than where we've got it, those things can happen and that you can design, not on the fly, but you can design a building that makes more sense as you're going. So we allow that to happen in phases. Now, there are other buildings where they say, look, let's do the whole thing at once. Um, you're going to review the thing. As soon as it's done, we're going to start construction. We'll call for our inspections. And once it's, once it's done, we want our occupancy permit. Whereas a phased, you know, literally, it's being designed as they go, um, but it's being still being designed to code. In the past, right. we haven't been um, uh, flexible enough to do that. And so the way construction happens more and more in the commercial realm these days, being able to do phased approvals as a part of a, a project is, is a real benefit. And not getting a permit is not an option, right? Oh, no. This is a, a you know, I, I think the thing that I would like people to take away from this for listening to this, especially if, if you're a homeowner and don't feel like you need to get a permit to replace that, water, that gas water heater, um, if you screw that up and the gas water heater causes a fire, your insurance company will not pay your claim. Yeah. Because you do not get a permit for that. And you know, I, I hate to put words in, you know, I'm not an insurance agent, but at the end of the day, you know, they're going to look for things that would cause them to be, to not pay out on a well, claim. Sure. They don't want to pay. And so at the end of the day, one of the first things they might look at is, is they'd say, hey, you know, the fire source was this water heater. Can you show all the permitting paperwork for it? Well, if you don't have it, you run the real risk of, of, sure. of whether that insurance will pay out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right. That's a good point. Can you give some, I don't want to keep talking about this, but I think, you know, we had a lot of questions from people, you know, so-and-so has been approved by council and, you know, they've submitted permits and received them back, but yet nothing is happening. And I mean, time and time again, you know, the, the rumor goes out, well, they must not be coming, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about this with, you know, the Cracker Barrel issue, but right. can you help kind of fill the gap of, of why that happens? If, if they've been approved, everything is going well, and permits are submitted and approved, then why is there such a delay? I think, Megan, let's be correct here, because the typical chatter is not they're not coming. It's we ran them off. We ran them off. Okay. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt here. No, I, I, I think that's a really good question because I'm like like everybody else on this. Um, I watch social media. Right. And so um, things are really different because of the pandemic. Um, you know, the normal sequence is, you know, you they a business comes in here, check the zoning, rezone the property. 
once that goes to the planning board with the recommendation of approval, it goes over to city council. Once they do what they need to, to either approve or reject it, but in this case, approve it, um, that opens the door. Folks can uh, start to submit their plans. So with the pandemic, what we've seen is uh, building materials and labor are a real issue. And so um, there's currently some construction over on Broad Street uh, for a uh, dollar tree. tree. And, you know, people have said, well, they started excavating. Now they've stopped. What's the city done? Actually, the city hasn't done anything. It's they can't get the the metal or uh, roof joists um, to to do their construction. And so um, there was a good four to six weeks where nothing happened on that site, but yet there was an excavator there and bulldozers had moved things around. That, like with, with Casey's General Store, it's them scheduling the construction crew to come in and have the, the appropriate building materials. So that's nothing the city controls. We've done what we need to. Zoning checks out. Building permits are good. You guys are ready to roll. Um, it's just right now, for whatever reason, um, pre, post, and current uh, pandemic, labor and materials are in short supply. Well, and it's also very similar to what we talked about with Lee with engineering is we're not the only city who's building a Casey's. We're not the only city building, you know, a Dollar Tree. And so there are other communities out there that are pulling from those, you know, labor workers to be able to do do those things. It's it's very true. And so in the case of a Dollar Tree or Casey's, they may have a construction pattern where they have a designated crew or two for whoever their general contractor is. And once they finish up one location, they move to the next location on the list. Well, if, if the materials are delayed, you know, three projects before us, that means we're even farther behind. Um, And so they just are trying to catch up too. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. I just, I know we get a lot of grief and (laughs) questions over what happens. Blame and gnashing of teeth and all that. Yeah. Okay. We've done building inspection. Let's go alphabetically and really in hindsight, it should have gone chronologically, but we'll stick with this format the way we're going. Let's go to code enforcement. Okay. What's the difference between building inspection that's enforcing a building code and code enforcement? So the city has a building code, but it also has um, a property maintenance code. Same organization, the International Code Council, um, is the uh, national organization that puts together just about every kind of code you can imagine. Fire code, uh, building code, property maintenance code, uh, you name it, they've, they've got, when it comes to public safety, um, they've got the, the code. And so the city adopts a variation of the International Property Maintenance Code. And so what property maintenance inspectors do is they go out and look to, look for um, issues with the completed property. So uh, once building inspection's done, they've got your home occupancy permit, you move in. Um, you know, 20 years later, um, there's issues with the house, whether it's um, the siding's falling off, shutters are, are broken, windows are broken, um, the grass is 10 inches or higher. Um, they're looking at things um, that may cause the, the value of that property to go down, uh, and more importantly, the entire neighborhood. So um, I always say um, one of the single, single biggest uh, contributors to your net worth, if you're a homeowner, is your home. Right. And so um, 
how does your home look? How does your home, um, if, if an appraiser came out and you wanted to sell your house, how would that grade out? Well, you also look at the houses around you. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, there are properties where they're not maintained as well to city standards and community standards, I think is, is, is a better term. And, um, you know, code enforcement are the, are the eyes and, and ears, um, of, of enforcement for, hey, just keep your property looking good. So it's almost like a, an orthopedist versus a dermatologist, right? So uh, the building inspection would be the orthopedist looking at the bones of the structure, making yeah. sure it gets built. Code enforcement is kind of a dermatologist that How does it looks look? mostly exterior, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's nice. But yeah, that, that's a that's a perfect analogy. I mean, that that really is. Um, you know, you'll never have a, a, a property maintenance inspector um, do your rough framing here in Fairborn or electrical here in Fairborn, and you'll never have a building inspector come out and and tell you that you need you need to fix the gutters or fix the hole in the roof or, or that type of thing. Um, they're located in the same department. They're two divisions within the same department. They talk all the time right. but but they're the types of inspections they do are two separate ones um and, you know there's there's not really any crossover there so how do those folks know where to go so i guess the question that i've had a couple people ask is do they just drive around looking for stuff or are they specifically looking at certain things at a certain property well it, it depends um so um every year there's systematics so um there are neighborhoods that are picked at random um, to do a total assessment. Um, you know, essentially, as we get to the middle part of the winter, coming into the spring, code enforcement officers are, are, are maybe hitting a particular area and the priority is um, peeling paint and, and houses that need to be painted. And so they'll go through that particular neighborhood, look for that, and then they'll send out letters that say, hey, you know, we would like you to uh, scrape and paint your house, and we'll be back sometime in the next, uh, you know, six or seven or eight months down the road. If you need any help, um, we have a hands up program. We'll provide you information. Perhaps you know we can help you uh, buy the paint if if you're a lower income. Um, there's programs that are available. There's the the the, but essentially there's systematic inspections. There are other inspections that code enforcement officers are out in the community every day. And so if, if a code enforcement officer takes a citizen's complaint about a particular property, um, as they're driving down the street to that house, we ask them to look at, at the entire street um, rather than just focusing on that one. So if there's a problem that could be easily taken care of now rather than two years from now when you know the, the roof is caving in because there's a giant hole in the roof, they stop, um, they try to make contact with the resident. Um, if they're not home, they leave a business card to, to tell them that they were there and what the violation was, and then they can get back into contact with them. Um, so so honest, it's, the person that they're going to see is going to say, my neighbor has this. What are you going to do about that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I guess the, the thing we want to dispel is, you know, somebody will say to me, well, I think they're picking on me. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly getting, you know, uh, uh, letters from the city about uh, property maintenance issues. I think I'm being picked on. Um, I don't think that there's any code enforcement officer or any member of any staff, whether it's this city or any other city, um, that, that 
intentionally picks on anyone. Right. So if you have a recurring problem with putting a, a vehicle up on four jacks and removing the engine and leaving the hood wide open on your driveway and your neighbors especially say, hey, look, you know, they're great neighbors. I just wish they wouldn't do that. It really makes the neighborhood look bad. If if that's a continual problem, if, if you're going to hear from, from code enforcement. Right. Um, so, I, you know, we, they walk a very fine line. You know, I always say this. When the fire department shows up, nobody nobody gets upset. Um, everybody is happy. When the police show up, the only people that aren't happy are the people that are doing something wrong. When code enforcement's in your neighborhood, everybody, you know, nobody cheers for code enforcement coming down the road. But it's a necessary, um, a necessary arm of the city because ultimately... Um, your property's appearance and upkeep affects your neighbors and affects the image of the city. And we talk about how economic development and and development services go hand in hand. Part of it is um, when businesses look to to locate real or bring new new business to the city, they look around the city. Right. Let's see what it what, what the city's like. What makes the city tick? And and one of the things we hear about, besides the obvious ones, you know, they've got um, you know they they've got a good crime rate. They've got an excellent fire department. Um, one of the things we hear about is, you know, the neighborhoods are some of them may be older, some of them may be new but they look good. And so when I'm bringing a, a new facility to town and my employees are going to want to locate in Fairborn, right. um, that's part of the stuff that, that folks look at is, you know, what's the image of the city? Uh, but more importantly, it's about, um, you know, neighborhood pride and your neighbors, um, uh, their pride in, in their neighborhood and your pride in, their, in the neighborhood. And so as the code enforcement officers go out and they cite a complaint, uh, you know, talk about we're not unreasonable with working with people to correct that complaint. It's not like we go out in the morning, issue them a notice, and say we'll be back at two thirty. If it's not fixed, we're going to take it. Across. No, it, it it's very true. It depends on what the, what the problem is. So um, if it's a tall grass issue, um, you'll get a letter. Right. Um, you'll have. Uh, with the, the speed of the mail, you'll have more than seven days to correct the violation. You know, if you call us in between there and say, you know, I'm having problems. I just had, you know, surgery. I, I can't do this. I'm trying to find someone to cut my grass. We'll give you an extension. Um, we even have a program um, called the Tool Lending Closet where we have lawnmowers and gasoline. So if it's a question of, you know, my lawnmower's down and I, I just don't have anything to cut it with, um, we have mowers that we can loan you at no cost um, to cut the grass. If it's a bigger issue, um, one that may take some time sure. and you would have to potentially hire somebody to help you with, you know, repairing gutters or, or repairing a roof, um, we usually give you 30 days for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you call us and say, hey, I've got... Uh, ABC working on, on on my roof. They're only partially done. We'll give an extension. Our process is not to go to court. Right. Our process is um, to get compliance and you know to keep the neighborhood looking looking good. And so also like if somebody needs to paint their house, they notice peeling paint. We're not going to send you a notice in January and say it'll be fixed in 30 days, right? That doesn't right. Because right. nobody's going to paint their house, you know. There, there are things we know that are, are 
essentially summer projects. Um, and that's why we give you the, the six to eight months, depending on when you get, when, when we send the letter out and when, you know, the, the cold starts. But, um, you know, there are certain things we know. Grass needs to be 10 inches or lower from April 1st through November 15th. So I highly doubt that we would send you a tall grass letter sure. um, in, in January. Um, we wouldn't send you uh, uh, something that would require um, perhaps like asphalt. Your driveway needs to be seal coated or your driveway needs to be reestablished. The asphalt plants are closed from mid-November until uh, April 1st. And so we know those things won't happen. So we work with you to try and get compliance, but we also have those things like the tool lending closet um, that, that has lawnmowers and some other basic uh, uh, tools that you would use for exterior improvements that you can borrow from us for free. And of course, we have that hands up program, which I think we'll probably talk about later. In the so that's a good segue. Let's move in now to the neighborhood betterment part. Um, you mentioned that if, if I'm Let's say we cite someone for having a house that needs a couple of repairs. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's say it's an elderly individual or an elderly couple that doesn't have family around, is on a fixed income, and the repairs are significant enough that somebody needs to come out and do that. We have programs to help those folks. Can you talk a little bit about what that, what those programs are? Sure. So um, uh, we've got a couple of different programs. It depends on the extent of, of your needs. But Missy Frost is the uh, Neighborhood bed Betterment Coordinator. She's also the Assistant Director of the Development Services Department. And what Missy is is the, the uh, person that handles all... Um, issues with whether it's fair housing issue or whether it's um, uh, housing repair, that type of thing. And so um, every year we do um, several housing rehabs. Okay. Um, so um, we're talking um, income qualifying um, through what we call the Community Housing Improvement Program or CHIP grant through the state of Ohio. And that usually in the life cycle of a CHIP grant, it's usually 18 months. And usually it requires us to do somewhere around nine uh, housing rehabs. And those could be total rehabs from uh, new furnaces, uh, new windows, uh, new roof, new gutters, um, you know, structural issues that, that prevent the house you're in from, from being um, habitable. Sure. And so um, those uh, applications come in to Missy. Um, sometimes they come from code enforcement, right. where when they're out talking to folks, they say, I, I really would love to be able to fix my roof. I just, I don't have the money it takes to put a new roof on. Well, there may be uh, a lead that comes from code enforcement over to Missy. Missy makes contact with those folks, and if they income qualify, um, then she helps coordinate the process of determining what can be what can be repaired or replaced, and then helps you get um, the contractor uh, set up to do that. And then through um, inspection through her um, outside contract or outside inspectors, they actually make sure that those uh, improvements um, are happening. And of course, then our building inspection comes in and makes sure they're to building code. Sure. So CHIP program's one of them. Um, you may need some emergency assistance and it's just a furnace. Um, we do have some emergency grants um, through our community development block grant program that would allow you um, 
to do some emergency replacements. It's the dead of winter and your furnace goes out and you're uh, low to moderate income, so you qualify. Uh, Missy would also coordinate that. Sure. Um, income qualification is a very important part of the first two things you mentioned, right? Right. It's, right. There needs to be a demonstrated need for the funding. It's right. not just for anybody that right. doesn't want to pay for that. And, and we don't set those guidelines. Those guidelines are actually set up by the the uh, federal government, and Missy can actually help you with those. But there are different income guidelines for a, a single-person household, um, a two-person household, a three-person house, household, or four or more people. And so they've got different income requirements. Missy can walk you through all those sure. um, and help you. Um, determine whether you're 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 eligible for help there. There are times where she can't help, but she may be able to uh, to refer you to another agency uh, like um, Community Action in Xenia, where you may not you may make too much money for uh, help through us, but you may make. Uh, just uh, you may income qualify on a different scale that's not controlled by the federal government, and maybe somebody like Community Action can help you. So there is an op- there's a possibility that if we can't help you, someone else maybe, and and Missy will refer you when she can. And we do not help landlords, correct? No, we do not help. We do not help landlords. To me, that's a business. You know, it is a business venture. It's the cost of bus- doing business. And the programs that we administer would not allow that. It's not that correct. I mean, we personally believe that it's not appropriate, but even if we did, we could not apply the money that we currently get to those situations. Correct. And, it, and if there was an issue that, that, you know, something, a structure was substandard and there was some conflict between the landlord and the tenant, um, Missy also oversees fair housing right. um, and can help you um, uh, navigate the... the Sure. The process of, of uh, the fair housing process, but that, that's another program. Um, fair housing is is a federal program. There's there's um, standards that um, every uh, landlord has to meet, and so Missy can help refer you to the right person if you if you need help with your landlord. And fair housing isn't just renters, correct? correct. I mean, if somebody is seeking to buy a home and they feel like they are not being treated fairly within that process, we can investigate that situation as well. Correct. Um, so yeah, fair housing is not just a, a rental issue like you like we've said, it, it, it's more than just that. Now, the one thing you did, so there are times, and I would say the predominant number of in- instances we get related to fair housing have to do with landlords and tenants. Uh, the one piece of advice we want people to take away from this, if they're listening to this, is the last thing you wanna do is just stop paying your rent. <laughs> Correct. There are. I think Missy can help walk them Correct. through the process. There are certain mechanisms that can be used to help address that situation. If you have a landlord that refuses to fix an issue, there are other, outside of the city, there are other avenues. Absolutely. And, and you are absolutely correct. The last thing you want to do is stop payment on rent. Right. Um, and again, as Rob said, uh, Missy can help you navigate that situation. Um, and help you with that process. But please, please, please do not stop paying your rent. Yeah, I I don't want to get into that because I don't want somebody to take this as advice. But the one piece of advice I feel comfortable giving is do not just stop paying your rent. Right, (laughs) right. Because then you're looking at eviction and there's really nothing we can do for it. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about the, uh, with regard to the CDBG program, um, we have the way we we're called what's we're what's called an entitlement community. Sorry, I couldn't spit that out. Um, what does that mean, and how does that 
help and or hurt us. So back in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, federal government set up the Community Development Block Grant Program, or CDBG. And so it's a program that's been around for quite some time. Um, the city is actually, as you said, an entitlement community, which means we get a direct allocation from the federal government. Okay. That every year? Uh, that's every year. Um, it's to the tune of about a quarter of a million dollars. Um, in comparison, the city of Dayton is a direct entitlement community, much larger than us, and they receive uh, more than $10 million a year sure. um, to help with programs like emergency repairs on a house, um, fair housing issues, right. um, and various projects that, that, that it could be even an economic development um, sure. a project that would bring better paying jobs or retain better paying jobs so that our, our residents have, um, you know, uh, income. And because it is a federal program, there are guidelines with which we can use to spend that money. I mean, we have to develop a plan every year. We have to develop a five-year plan. I mean, Correct. there's a lot of Correct. a lot of accounting that goes along with these funds and a lot of planning that has to be brought together. Absolutely. And those plans not only have to be approved by city council or adopted by city council, they have a public comment period. And so um, those, you know, have are usually on, on available at the public library. They're also available um, on our website if you call. Uh, but we would happy to be happy to go through that with you. But we're what's considered a January entitlement community. So our calendar year for that is January 1st to December 31st. Um, with it being the federal government, it doesn't necessarily always work out to January 1st, but but to the end of December. But sure. we try very hard to do that. And so, um, you know, there's only a certain percentage of what we get that can be put towards the cost of administration. Okay. So it's not one of those deals where, um, you know, all of it goes to or or even 50% of it or even 25% of it goes to um, administrative costs. This is money that's actually goes out and, and is a benefit to the community. Um, in the past, right. it's paid for the tool lending closet. Right. It's paid, f uh, it regularly pays for additional tools to be purchased to put in there. Um, it may help with a roadway project or um, an accessory project to a roadway. It may help to put in uh, handicap accessible ramps uh, on curbs. Um, I mean, there's various uses for it, but it, it is, uh, it's determined by need. And so every five years we have to put together an a, a plan um, that shows the need and and what eligible uses we might have for it doesn't mean we're going to spend it on that then every year council adopts the the action plan for the year and so anything we identify as a potential project or a potential use in that five year that's already been approved we can then insert it into the the next 12 month plan and actually um, uh, utilize that money that way. Um, but there is oversight, and, and we're audited regularly uh, by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, right. um, and we also have regular contact with them. And so if we have a question, we'd like to use CDBG money for a particular reason on a project, would that meet the requirements? We've got people we can talk to, and, and we can, uh, even if we need to amend something, so that um, if, if it's something that will improve the quality of life in the city because there are some neighborhoods that automatically qualify just given the demographics of that neighborhood and it's by census, census tract and census block so when we were you know two years ago now when they first started to put the push on for people to fill out your census forms 
this is a big part of why you want people to fill that information out because it directly right. tied to the funding that we could potentially right. receive. Right. And so Rob's right. There are certain areas of the city we can't use the money right. because the income level is too high. Um, but there are um, several areas of the city that income qualify. And then areas that you would think income qualify but don't, we can actually do an income survey for a specific neighborhood um, where you know staff will go door to door um, and do an income survey. And that's a way that we perhaps could, uh, a neighborhood that we normally couldn't help um, because the census tract as a whole shows um, a higher uh, income rate. Maybe that, maybe that two block or three block area is is an anomaly, and so um, by doing that, we we can we can actually try and still help an area that doesn't qualify. Okay. Uh, so we've we've gone over the we started with building, went to code enforcement, neighborhood betterment. Let's finish with what is so that you and I cut our teeth in this. <laughs> arena of local government. I'm just going to uh, sit over here and let Right, listen. yeah. Unless you have questions, Megan. I, yeah. Got to, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the planning side of this, which yeah. is kind of how we both got our start in local government. Talk about what the planning department does, uh, how it helps people, and, and kind of what some of the day-to-day -day things are in planning. I always like to think of, of planning in a couple ways, but it's the orderly... Um, establishment of, of the city and, and what the city is going to be. So, you know, at the base, everybody talks about the zoning code, but we also have a land use plan. And so we updated our land use plan within the last five years. Right. And so, you know, is it, what do I want to be when I grow up for that particular area? Right. So the land use plan is, is the goal. What would we really love um, for this particular area to, to be? if it were re to be redeveloped. Um, so it is a, a, a guideline for w not only what economic development does, but also the planning board and city council utilizes it. And so um, ultimately at the end of the day, you don't want to have a single family residential house right next to um, a factory. Right. Um, so in planning, we look at least intensive use to most intensive use. And so, you know, you want to create buffers between a single family residence and a factory. So then that may be a single family district, a multifamily district, a commercial retail district, and then manufacturing. Uh, but we try very hard in zoning across the country um, to make sure that the compatible uses are next to each other. Sure. Um, and, and a factory and uh, a house aren't necessarily compatible uses. Billy uh, Fitchell that I used to work with said it this way in talking about the difference between kind of the building department and the planning department is planning is a yes or no answer. Can I do this or can't I? The building department is how much is it going to cost to do what you want to do? So there are uh, so planning is in a lot of ways the regulatory method we use to make sure we have an orderly city. Right. right. And that goes back all the way to another city in the state of Ohio, Cleveland, way back in the early 1900s, um, when they wanted to development to follow an orderly um, philosophy, logic, uh, theory. Um, and then the Supreme Court actually um, upheld that. Um, you know, what's good for the, the public safety, health, and welfare. Right. Um, and so there's there is a logic behind it. I like to think of it as zoning is the key that opens the door 
um, to building an inspection or zoning is the key that opens the door to your dreams. Um, and you can't read a planning textbook without reading about Euclid versus Ambler, right? That's right. the case you're talking about. Yeah. So Euclid adopted a zoning code. This Ambler Realty Group sued the city of Euclid and lost, and then established the first zoning code. code. There's in a little the bit state, in the state or like across the board. I believe it was in the oh, country. Yeah, it was the country. Huh? Uh, you yeah. can and you can win a bar bet if you want to do or a soda bet, whatever you want to do. So Ohio <laughs> is the heart of it all. Ohio is the heart of it all. Right. <laughs> um, what are some of the functions? You mentioned the land use plan. When we went through that process to update the land use plan, that's not just a bunch of us bureaucrats sitting in a room saying we want this, this, and this. How do we go about updating that plan and? What's the process? So, you know, generally, um, you bring in a consultant. So, uh, you know, ultimately, you want an expert at this. We may be good generalists. Um, we're not experts at putting a plan together. So there are there are folks that do this. Um, so we actually put out a request for a proposal. Um, once uh, we do that, we internally we say, here's the parameters we want to look for, or want to work towards. We create a request for a proposal. Um, we put it out for public bid. We receive those in. One of the things we always look for is the public engagement portion of it. Right. So it doesn't matter if it's the land use plan, the zoning code, or um, we're getting ready to do a new economic development strategy for the next five to ten years. We look to see how those consultants want to engage with the public, because ultimately. Uh, it's important, if not paramount, that our, our residents have um, their say in these documents. Right. Uh, because at the end of the day, it, it's there to benefit them. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, it's tough. It's tough to get people to come out on a Tuesday night uh, or a Saturday morning um, to get together for, for a session. Right. And so... Um, that's a hurdle that every community has. And sure. so um, we want as much public input put as possible. Um, we want you to, to you're not going to, you're not going to live and breathe the zoning code and the land use plan, but we want you to feel like, um, like you know what it is. You, you had input on it. Um, we, we, I want you to think that at the end of the day, Fairborn's uh, land use plan is my land use plan. Sure. And I, and I know that's dramatic, but um, you know, the more that the more folks who participate in it, um, the better the document we get. So anyway, we go through that process. We go through the public engagement process. Um, once the plan draft plan is finalized, it comes uh, to planning board. Planning board reviews it. There's always a public hearing with the planning board portion of it. Um, if they recommend it for per, uh, for approval, it goes on to city council, where there is always public input on that. Uh, so there's multiple places to get folks' uh, questions, comments, concerns, praise. Um, but one of the things we look for when we do any of these updates is, what does the public think? Sure. And so um, it, it's a huge component of what we do. Um, and uh, again, I'll, I'll put a plug in for it. We're getting ready in the next several months to do an, an updated economic development strategy. And there's going to be public open houses and forums. And, and we will do our best to get that communicated through social media um, and our other platforms. So if you want to participate, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I would put a pitch in for anybody that's listening to this, our 13 subscribers, three of which are sitting in this room, or our... <laughs> couple hundred people who've downloaded this podcast the next time you see a uh, notice for something like that especially when it, when it's planning related it's worth your time to go if for no other reason there's usually coffee and cookies and punch 
if you're a cookie person like I am, go for the cookies. But it's a really good way to see what your town is thinking with regard to how they want to be in the next 5, 10, 15 years. It really is an engaging process of you. And I, I'm a planning nerd. If but for that, I would still go. Well, <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, again, like we talked with, with Lee, some of this stuff isn't like, the sexiest to talk about right i mean and it's just not exciting for a lot of people because i live in my house i have zero uh knowledge at times of nor do i really care about that but i'll say that until the five acre field across the street from you that you enjoy looking at yeah, gets developed. Is, is, like, where did that come from that, yeah and and we have a situation behind our house it's you know, we have a shed or a barn being built or so it feels like you know and it's but again we got the letter in the mail and it was do you want to have any input on this please come to the to the meeting and we didn't um which is fine right. but you know and I, I think we don't just hold these meetings to hold meetings right we got lots of things to do it's not like this is We'd much rather not. Hold right, yeah. And so, I mean, we're holding them for a purpose so that so that the public can have input and give us, hey, what would you like to see? Give us a, your wildest dreams. It may not happen, but at least we know what they're thinking by participating within these meetings. Right. Well, I think two important points also in, in this discussion. One is um, you have access to uh, watch planning board meetings and city council meetings. Right. And so those are available on our website. And if I think if you have Spectrum um, you cable, you can, have, you can watch it on government access. Those programs continually repeat. But you can, you can get a lot of information. Yeah. Um, like if you followed the Menards when the approvals went through, they were in this room telling both planning board and council that it will take some time for us to get construction going after this is approved. They won't, they won't lock down a date for you, but they'll say it may be three to six months before we actually start construction, but we wanted to get the approvals in place. So You mean it doesn't happen like the moment council approves it, like that next week it's not like built? No. <laughs> Okay. No, and the other... That's what it feels like. That there's been times, I've been, there's been a couple weeks after it gets approved, but no, nothing ever happens right away. There's the, and the other thing, point I'd like to make is um, we have boards that we have a very difficult time getting people to <laughs> right. on. So with just this particular department, Development Services, we not only have the planning board, the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, but we have other boards, um, the Neighborhood Betterment Board um, that needs members. Um, there are an additional two or three boards that are just within development services. We have a really, really hard time filling. We may even have vacancies um, on the entire board. So if you want to get involved and you want to know more, um, at least about what development services does, um, you know, serving on a board is an excellent way um, to not only help your community, but find out what's going on. And I'm sure Fairborn is not unique in this issue but people like to know what's going on way before anybody else so yeah. if you want to know what's going on before anybody else serve on the planning board of the bza and you'll, you'll understand yeah a month at least in, yeah. in some cases some cases three years because mm -hmm. you'll know what's going to happen so yeah definitely let's dive a little bit deeper on the planning board so what's the makeup of the board who can serve um and what is their role in the overall development process so um, planning board 
looks at a, several different things. One of them is rezoning. Um, conditional uses go through planning board. But, uh, but at the end of the day, planning board is a seven-member board appointed by city council. Um, you can serve uh, two terms on the planning board. Planning board's three years, I believe. I believe so. so the planning board, um, after your first three-year term, you can be appointed for a second three-year term. But then after that, you have to drop off. Is there an age requirement? Uh, 18 and over. 18 years old, yeah. I, although I don't find many 18, 19 year olds that are no. interested in that stuff, but you certainly could be. But I mean, if you're, yeah. that's what you're going to go to school for, you know, right. be a good, good way to learn. So the makeup of that board is, is, um, it's interesting. Um, we've got members of the board, uh, both on the BZA and the planning board, um, that may have a construction background, may have a, a surveying background, uh, may be a member of a business. Um, ultimately, though, at the end of the day, if you serve on, on any of these boards, you have to be a resident of the city of Fairborn. And you, made, you made a good point, Mike. We've City Council has done a pretty good job of appointing folks that have specific backgrounds that are beneficial to that board because really what this board does is it represents city council in these meetings and it isn't necessarily always in agreement with what staff brings to them i know a lot of people think that it's just a formality but there have been many a meeting i've been in you've been in we've seen where the board is i won't say critical but at least asking good questions of staff uh, and really making staff do their work in order to get something presented and approved. Planning board really, I, I look at it as a, it really vets what's what's being asked for. And, uh, you know, they, they, they want to know um, issues um, that could ultimately affect whether it's going to be approved by city council or not. So um, the city planner. Uh, makes presentations to both the planning board and to city council on rezoning requests. And um, we've been very fortunate that the folks who have served on the planning board um, have a passion for it because sure. they not only do site visits on their own, I'll step, take one step back. The planning board meets once a month. Right. It's the second Tuesday of the month in council chambers uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon. And so you can go to the city's website. Um, you can see the agendas posted. Um, I think this year we've, we, we usually, if not all 12 months, we have cases um, at least 10 of the 12 months. So they meet on a regular basis. Um, group gets together. Um, staff prepares a report. Um, I've told people this before. They'll say, what are my chances of this happening? Well, you know, Rob will tell you. Uh, we may think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But for some reason, the planning board, after their review of, of the zoning code and of the land use plan and taking comments from from the community at large, may say that you guys are wrong. Uh, we don't recommend approval of this. And they've done that. Right. Vice versa, we may hate it and they may love it. Um, and it's hard to make that prediction. Again, staff is here to try and help you through that process to put the best plan forward you can. Um, yeah. And, and moving, you know, in that process. But planning board vets it. If they uh, think it's it meets everything, they vote to approve it. It moves on to city council, and then uh, city council goes through that process of approval or denial. The one thing I want to make sure everybody understands is that this is a key part of the economic development process because. Uh, there's a lot of meetings that happen before an item gets presented to the planning board. There's a lot of internal conversations. There's a lot of conversations with the applicant 
who in some cases is the property owner, who in some cases is the uh, business that wants to locate there. It can be any number of different things. There's a lot of work that goes on uh, before this thing even gets applied for to go to the planning board. And that's a credit to our staff that, that we take that time because it helps uh, cure a lot of frustration that some folks can feel because the last thing somebody wants is to get denied of these things, right? They're doing this for a purpose. And so we take a lot of our expertise, my expertise, your expertise, we have a great city planner, <coughs> Kathleen Riggs, who we've done this for years and years and years. We put a lot of thought into the development. So we make recommendations before it even gets applied for right. so that we make that path as smooth as possible. So and I think developers appreciate that. So if it gets denied, can they go back, tweak some things, and reapply, or is it dependent on what it gets denied for? It depends on what they're applying for and whether or not it gets denied. So there are some cases, for example, a rezoning, they have to wait six months, I believe. Correct. Okay. Uh, before they can reapply. I think Sorry, one of the I think one of the important things though I think one of the important things that goes along with with staff taking the applicant through the process one of the things is if, if things start to look like they're going to to not go well um, you know I've been in meetings before where staff has advised um, the applicant to ask for the the application to be tabled mm -hmm. so they can go back and retool it right. and then bring it back forward the next month we don't want them to fall on their face that's not the goal here so right. you know it, we it, don't put it past us to, to have a side conversation and say ask for it to be tabled so, and once we hear from the planning board maybe there's an issue that we didn't even think of that comes up that we can address in that time so, so it's, how do they know like at what point it needs to go to planning board so uh, for rezoning um, the city planner will take them through the process city planner has not only the, the submission dates they'll need to meet but there are also um, what plans she'll need whether it's a site plan a grading plan um, we even have lighting plans that when you have for example a new service station convenience store um, the the lights that we require at night to light the property up we call it zero bleed so there can be no light that comes off and affects the the neighboring properties so if in a rare case you have uh, a multifamily or a single family next to uh, a new marathon station we want to make sure that the effects of that building and the, and the operation uh, of that building past uh, sundown doesn't affect your quality of life right um, so there's a lighting plan that's a landscaping plan all kinds of there's there's probably a little more than half a dozen plans that have to accompany it which is standard for any community developers general contractors know this isn't something unique to Fairborn. they know if they're going to do a project like this they're going to have to provide that and so there's some time involved so usually where we're at is you know they're either look, have purchased the property or they've got an option to purchase and they've got uh, 180 days to to create all these documents that they'll need or up to 180 days that includes getting it to planning board and then on to city council uh, and our pr process takes how long mike um our process takes uh it could take 90 days um generally speaking 90 to 120 which depends in, on submission which in the development world is a Yes. Yeah, it sounds really is. Asked. Yeah. I mean, and, I don't even know anything. And most of that is, it's funny, most of that is requirements that the state of Ohio has for any community within the state, and it has to do with public notice. Mm -hmm. So once a, an application is submitted, um, it has to be posted 
um, with plenty of time before the meeting for for uh, the public to know about. And then it's unique because in this particular case, the newspaper we printed in, which is one of the requirements, um, has a certain number of days out before it publishes it. So um, it's it, from the time you submit it to the time of the first hearing is about 30 days. Um, it's heard on the first or the second Tuesday of the month. If it's recommended for approval, it generally goes the next Monday to city council. Um, if it's a, a simple resolution, they'll approve it, and then you've got a 30-day wait for that resolution to take effect. If it's an ordinance, it has to go through a first reading, then at the next city council meeting, a second reading and public hearing. Um, if, if council so chooses to waive the third reading, um, they can. Um, and usually when it, it takes effect immediately um, after council uh, approves that ordinance so that they want to start moving dirt, for example, the high school project had to be rezoned. Right. Um, one of the things the schools wanted to be ready to do was the day after that was approved, if they wanted to, to start um, prepping the site, the land on the site for construction. So um, we try to move as fast as we can, but we have certain parameters under state law that we have to meet um, so that public gets the proper notification. So if they've got comments or they've got concerns, they can be involved in that process. But again, it's a public process. The public is, we notify people that are directly affected. Uh, what's that? Remind me again, Mike, what's that distance? So if you live within... Like 500. So three, 250 feet. feet. Okay. 250. Live within so many feet of it, you get a, a notice automatically. Right. Yeah. And then if you, like, you know, Megan, you decide to show up, great. You can provide your input. Right. Some people come just to listen because maybe they don't understand what's going on. Uh, some people speak. And actually, there's been times, Mike, where we've had folks that want to do something that doesn't conform to our land use plan and does not meet our zoning code, but they want to make that application because, by gosh, they're going to get this thing approved, and it's such a winning idea that, you know, they're just going to fawn all over it. Well... You know that we have those cases too, uh, and you know not that we not that it's never happened where something like that's been approved. But our planning board is pretty good at taking staff's recommendation on things and following the land use plan and the zoning code. I, I think one of the important things to to say in all this is, like Rob said, there are people who, you know, they want to bring this forward, right. um, whether staff advises them not to do it or not. But at the end of the day, staff will not prohibit you from from coming forward with a request. That's your right as the property owner. Um, we want you to have the best plan possible. Um, we may not support the plan for various reasons, but it's your right to make an application for a zoning change if you control the property. Right. You deserve to be heard. Yes. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, so the other board that you mentioned is the Board of Zoning Appeals. Right. Um, Explain the difference with that board. What does the BZA do? Why do we need two boards? Uh, what's the BZA versus the? So the Board of Zoning Appeals, um, as it's it's it's, I don't want to change the zoning on my property. I don't want it to take it from single family to commercial, but I do. Uh, I would do want to change something about it. So um, I want to be able to put a six foot high fence um, in my front yard. Um, which isn't permitted by code. Essentially, the Board of Zoning Appeals hears appeals to the zoning code. Okay. So let's say um, you have a, a narrower lot and the side yard setbacks are uh, 10 feet on either side, and you'd like to build an addition, and that addition is going to perhaps, uh, instead of a 10-yard setback in your side yard, you're only going to have seven because you'd like the house to go three feet into that. 
you would come before the Board of Zoning Appeals and ask for a variance to the zoning code to allow you to do that. Okay. So that's what that board hears is, is zoning code appeals. Okay. They do not hear conditional uses. Conditional uses are heard by the planning board, but variances to the zoning code. And then that variance goes with the property for essentially for life. Sure. So once a variance is approved to allow you for, like in my example, to build um, three feet into the side yard setback further than you're allowed, it doesn't mean when your house sells that it goes back and then that house is not in compliance with the zoning code. Right. That variance sticks with the property uh, until um, that house is no longer there. Sure. Um, and so that board doesn't meet as frequently. Um, it is scheduled to meet the third Tuesday of every month, but in all honesty, it probably only meets three to four times a year. Sure. Again, those the uh, if there is a planning board meeting, you can go to the um, uh, portion of the website for city planning and see the agenda for the next planning board meeting. Mm -hmm. um, you can also see both planning board and BZA minutes after they've been approved. So if the planning board or the board of zoning appeals meets in January but doesn't meet again until May, you won't see the May minutes up until they're approved or the January minutes until they're approved in May. Right. Um, you'll never see unapproved minutes uh, placed on the website prior to sure. that particular board reviewing them and saying we agree they're correct. Then we place them on the website. So is that a different group of people or is that the same group? Different group of people. You okay. cannot serve on the Board of Zoning Appeals and the Planning Board at the same time. Now, a lot of times folks will start off on the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, they can have two terms on that, but a, zone, a Board of Zoning Appeals appointment is five years, I believe. Um, so you could spend... A long time. You could spend 10 years on the Board of Zoning Appeals or you could spend five and and there may be a space open up on the planning board and you apply to be on that board uh, and then you're selected so you could move on to that right. any other board where we use volunteers if your council selects you to serve on that on that board you could you could move or you could go from the planning board to the board of zoning appeals we're going to have the law director come in and talk on a separate podcast perhaps the next episode i believe but I want to make a point of clarification to go along with what you said, Mike. So if you look at the planning board, uh, you know, and when you learn about boards and commissions like this in the planning textbooks and classes, they serve in what's called a quasi-legislative fashion in most mm -hmm. cases, which means they're creating ordinances, they're doing more legislative work. Uh, the Board of Zoning Appeals is, functions primarily in a quasi-judicial format. So when somebody comes forward to the planning board, it's more like a judicial review. So you look at what the code is, what they want to do, why it should be done, what's the criteria. It's a lot more technical with regard to that application. It's not just, here's a pretty picture, can I get this variance? It's, why don't you meet it? Why can't you meet it? Um, what are you going to do to mitigate this you know, effect of whatever you have on whatever? So it's, it's more of a quasi-judicial format. Right. Hmm. I think that's an interesting way to think yeah. about it. It's like going to court right? in some ways. Okay. Um, I think we've hit all four divisions within the development services. Anything we forgot, Mike? And Megan, anything you I don't have a question so. about? No. Again, we'll put some of the stuff in the show notes, some mm -hmm. of the stuff we've talked about, some yep. of the uh, links to the different programs that we have, particularly the hand-up program, some of the other yep. community development block grant stuff. But... This is your second time. I get the first two-time guest on the Government Ops podcast. Yeah. Yeah. If you have questions, call, write, email. You know, we're here to help. So, Absolutely. You know, never hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Megan, any final words? 
no, we're good. I've learned a lot again. All right. Appreciate the 13 followers and a couple hundred downloads. Hopefully we can <laughs> boost that number. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your kids. Uh, download the Government Ops podcast. And right. We'll see you around town.